Everybody survived the storm this week okay? We, uh, Sherry likes a Dunkin' Donut coffee, so we went out Friday morning. Dunkin' Donuts open, man, they're open. It had to be a flood, they're open. So we got coffee, and when we came back, we couldn't get back to the house. The tree had fallen in the road and uh, blocked the road, so I went around the back way. Two more trees were in the road. So I went back around front, had to park in the road, walk home, got my chainsaw, went back and opened the road. So uh, got the, you know, using a chainsaw is kind of like shooting a gun. It's just fun. You just get to cut stuff. So uh, we cut up these trees and threw them all over the place and uh, make you feel real manly cutting stuff over the chainsaw. So then we, so we had a, a good time and didn't lose any, any trees in the yard and no damage. So the Lord blessed us. We needed to rain, so there's a blessing in, in all of that too. So take your Bibles this morning, go to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. And our thoughts this morning are going to center around moving from shadows to reality, moving from uh, types to the real in the New Testament, Jesus left the church two ordinances, and if you've been around church much, you know what they are, but think about it for a moment. One of them is baptism. When a person uh, comes to Jesus Christ and they get saved by faith in Him, the Bible commands us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. We get into water. We believe in baptism by immersion. Uh, you say, well, why, why do you baptize by immersion? Because it's a the whole, the whole function is a testimony, it's a type, it's a shadow of the reality of what happened when a person got saved. When, they, when, when a person confesses their sin and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus' death becomes ours. He took our place, it's applied to us. And then his resurrection becomes ours. We have resurrection life in him. And so getting in the water and being put under the water, pictures dying with him, coming up out of the water, pictures being resurrected with him, to, to walk with him and live for him the rest of your life. So baptism is a shadow, if you will, a type, a, a picture of, of a reality that happened in salvation. And the other ordinance we, we practice here is the Lord's Supper. Jesus uh, had the Lord's Supper on the night he was arrested with his disciples, and the Bible says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of him. So again, we observe the Lord's Supper. We have the little wafer and the, and the grape juice. And the wafer represents Jesus' body broken on the cross. And the grape juice represents his shed blood. Those things, the baptism and the Lord's Supper won't save you. The baptism and the Lord's Supper won't do anything for you spiritually other than obedience. But they're shadows. They're types. They're pictures of a reality that means everything to us, right? Uh, Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection and his his shed blood, the, the, the things that they represent have true value because that's how we saved. What the writer does beginning in chapter 8 is he says all these things we've been talking about, Melchizedek and these priests and all the things they did are shadows. They're foreshadows, they're types, they're pictures of a reality. And he said that reality happens to be Jesus Christ. And so he, he begins to explain how Jesus is our high priest and he really makes the application beginning in chapter 8. So look with me, if you will, at the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 8. The writer said, now this is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary 
and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. I like how he begins here. We have such a high priest. Remember the type, the shadow of Jesus was Melchizedek in Genesis, the guy that we only meet for three verses. He's a shadow, a type of, of the high priest to come. It was the type, the shadow that he pictured pointed to Jesus. In fact, the entire Levitical system pointed to a greater high priest, pointed to a greater sacrifice, to a final sacrifice. And the writer saying here, we have such a high priest. We have such a high priest as that, and his name is Jesus. You remember back in verse 26 of the last chapter, chapter 7, he said, for such a high priest was fitting for us, who's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. There are three things we can point to in the shadow that point to Jesus. Three things that we can look at in the past in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus. Let me give them to you very quickly. First is this. Melchizedek's priesthood was identified as a priesthood forever. Jesus is the reality of that. Jesus is our high priest forever. The Old Testament priesthood was limited by their mortality, limited by the fact that they die limited by the weaknesses of their flesh. Before they could represent man before God, they had to deal with their own sin. Not so with our high priest, Jesus Christ. He's the high priest forever. He's our eternal high priest. 10,000 years from now, Jesus will still be sitting at the right hand of the Father, having fellowship with us and interceding for us. 10 million years from now, Jesus will still be sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's the eternal high priest He's the, listen, it only makes sense because he's the source of eternal life, isn't he? I don't know about you. I mean, I, I, I like the idea of eternal life. Never really liked the idea much of dying. How about you? I mean, let's just be honest. I like living. I like life. I like fellowship. I like interacting with people. And I really like having a relationship with God. All that's in Jesus because he's the eternal high priest. He's the priesthood forever. Secondly, those Old Testament priests, all of the Levitical system, they were priests by lineage, by, uh, by their association with the tribe of Levi. The Bible says in the, in, in the type and the shadow of the Old Testament Melchizedek, Jesus is appointed. He's appointed by the Father. In fact, he's not limited by any of, those, any of those earthly things like succession or bloodline. No, the priesthood is his by right. It's his by nature, and he's appointed by God the Father. Remember we talked about the fact that God the Father said, I take an oath. Well, God doesn't need to take an oath because his word's good. But it was a condescending act on God's part to reach us so that we understand how serious he is about the fact that I've appointed my son to be your high priest. Jesus is a high priest by appointment, confirmed by an oath, and he's the high priest forever. It's amazing. If you have children, you can relate to this. God the Father gave his son to die for us. What a thing. What a thing that God Almighty would give his son to come and die for sinners like us. Jesus was appointed by God the Father to all that he did, appointed to the passion appointed to be resurrected, appointed to sit at the exalted place in heaven, appointed to be our high priest forever. And then thirdly, the shadow pointed to the reality of Jesus as our perfect sacrifice. All of those sacrifices under the Levitical system were flawed. 
They were flawed because of the humans who were giving them. The priests were flawed. The whole system was flawed because of the weakness of human flesh, not because God had any system that was imperfect. You understand everything God's ever initiated in creation is perfect. We are the ones who mess it all up. We mess up everything God's created to be good. We mess up relationships. We mess up worship. We mess up, man, we mess up everything, okay? It's only by His power, by God the Holy Spirit, that we're able to function and come close to doing what God wants us to do. So in the Levitical system, it was a flawed system because of man's sinfulness. However, Jesus came, and He's the perfect sacrifice, never to have to be repeated again. There'll never, listen, there'll never be another offering for sin. Jesus made the one offering one time, his own shed blood. He gave himself on the cross. No other sin offering is needed. No other sin offering could do what he did. And so he came what was a shadow in the system of the animals day after day, year after year, the offerings, the sacrifices, the functions. Jesus perfected that. He's the reality of all those things that it pointed to. Let me tell you something. Religion, and Satan uses this as a tool, religious systems become a shadow of the reality. And people become satisfied with a fake feeling of security in some religious system instead of, instead of dealing with the reality as Jesus Christ. Instead of dealing with the reality of confession of sin and being born again on the inside. Jesus is the reality of all that was pictured in the Old Testament. And that's what the writer said. The sum of what we've been saying is this. Jesus is your high priest. He's the one you need to look to. This was particularly poignant for those Jewish Christians. Okay? For us, we've been hearing this all our lives. You've been saved long ago. Yeah, man, Jesus is my high priest. It was revolutionary for them. It was life-altering for them. Because they were Jews who were drawn back to Judaism. And the writer saying to them, there's nothing to go back to. That was a shadow. That was, that's a mist. That's just a picture. The reality is Jesus. And if you're saved, you got the real thing. The real thing. Coke used to have a commercial like that, didn't they? Get the real thing. Well, Coke don't know what the real thing is. It's Jesus, okay? And I like Diet Coke, so I'm a fan. But the thing is, they don't know what reality is because reality is Jesus. It isn't anything in this world. It isn't anything that we could come up with. Now, it says here, the writer said, now, further proof that Jesus is the reality of what, we, of what we need to look for is said that Jesus is seated at the right hand in the holies in heaven, in the holy place if you will, or in the heavens. There's a lot of ways you could phrase that. Jesus says seated at the right hand of the Father. Now we know, and I'm sure you've heard this before, the right hand is always the place of honor. It's the place where the most honored guest sits. In fact, uh, when, in man's pride many times in social gatherings, people want that seat. They want to be seated at the most honored place. They want to be seated at the place where people will look at them and say, oh my, look at him or her. They're sitting in the place of honor. They're at the right hand. Jesus sits at the right hand for a number of reasons, none of which we're qualified for. Let me, let me share a few of them with you, okay? Number one, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father because it's a reward for his humiliation and his passion, the Father rewarded the Son for being willing to come here and die for you and me. For being willing to lay aside His glory and take on flesh and humble Himself and lay aside His right as God to come here and have men reject Him 
and blaspheme him and spit in his face and pull out his beard and smash a crown of thorns on his head and nail him to a cross. The Father has rewarded him and seated him at his right hand in heaven. You know why? Because Jesus will be worshipped for the rest of eternity in that honored place as our high priest. He'll receive the honor and glory for what he did. The Father gave him that place for his passion and the completion of what he did. Secondly, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father because he's our mediator. He's our mediator. Remember this now. All, all systems in the Old Testament, the whole thing, the whole Levitical system had one design. It was to restore man to God. You see, our sin separates us from God. And God wants, it's amazing. It is an amazing thing that God wants to have a relationship with us. I can't even imagine that. I mean, let's be honest. Let's just be honest. There are people I meet in life, and I, and I meet them one time, and that's enough. Just being, just being transparent, right? You meet them, and you think, that's all I need? I don't need to talk to them anymore? I don't need to be around them anymore? That's good enough. Could God not say that of every one of us? Could God not go, what a hot mess they are. What, what a, you know, sin and debauchery and their thought life and the intent of their heart all the stuff other people can't see on the outside, I see plain and clear. What corruption. God could say, what, what terribleness. I don't want anything to do with that. Oh, but that's, that's not what he does. He says, I, I love you unconditionally. And I want to have a relationship with you. So Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because he's that one who mediates for us. You understand that when we, when we pray, it, the Father hears because it's in Jesus. Amen. That when we approach the Father in the throne of glory, it's because of Jesus. It's because He's sitting there at the right hand. He's the mediator. He's the one who brings two parties together. It's Jesus who brings the sinner to the Father. It's Jesus who forgives us and puts His righteousness on us and presents us to the Father. In fact, it's a beautiful picture. The Father sent Jesus to redeem us. The Father gave him those to redeem. He redeems us and presents us back to the Father. What a wonderful thing that is in a relationship in the Godhead. And so Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father because he's our, our mediator. Thirdly, he sits at the right hand of the Father because he's our advocate. Now you think, well, isn't mediator and advocate the same thing? Not quite. You need somebody on your side spiritually. I need somebody on my side spiritually because I certainly can't help myself. And here's the bad news. Even after we're saved, we can't help ourselves because we still live in this fallen sin nature. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father because he's on our side. He's our advocate. He represents us. The Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And, and, and Satan has lots of ammunition to accuse us to the Father of being unworthy. But Jesus is our advocate. He stands in the gap for us. He stands on our side. Let me tell you something. The whole world can stand against you. The whole world can disagree with you about Jesus. The whole world can despise you. But you win because Jesus is on your side. Amen. 
He's our advocate. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And let me tell you something. I like having an advocate who sits right next to God the Father. He don't have to shout across heaven. He don't have, he's sitting next to him. And it's easy. And I just imagine, the Bible doesn't say, I just imagine in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you, you do understand that all three of them are really active in our lives. Right? The Holy Spirit lives in you. Jesus is the great high priest sitting there. He's our advocate and our mediator. And God the Father is interested in what's going on with his children because you belong to him and he's watching over his children. I just imagine the three of them are having a conversation about us all the time. And don't you just wonder what they're saying? Sometimes it's probably not good. You know, God's like, boy, Holy Spirit, you better get to work on him because he's off the rails or something. You know, I don't know what he's saying, but there's this, this, this advocacy of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Number four, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father for a fourth reason. He's our security. Remember we said a week ago, he's our guarantor of our salvation. If anybody brings an accusation against us and the, and the evil one does, Jesus reminds them every time, no, he belongs to me. She belongs to me. They belong to me. The church belongs to me. And I'm going to tell you, I like it. I like Job, not because of all the bad things that happened to him, but I, the thing I like best about it is Jesus told Satan exactly what the limit was of what he could do. Satan wanted to take Job. He wanted to kill him. He wanted to sift him. He wanted to ruin him. And God said, well, you can take his stuff, but you can't touch him. And then later God said, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. Security. Do you understand? You ain't dying until God knows it's time for you to die. You're just not going because Jesus is your security. And he's not taking you home until he's ready to take you home. Now, don't go jump in front of a train, okay, because we ain't supposed to tempt God. But you get the picture, right? God has you in his hand, and Jesus is your security. has to do with your eternal security, your salvation, by the way. Since Jesus lives forever, since he is your forever high priest, he's the security of your eternal salvation. Amen. He's the one who bought it. He's the one who guarantees it. So we have Jesus at the right hand of the Father for our security. And then number five, and probably the most beautiful of the whole thing, the Bible says that the Father is glorified in the Son as he exercises his authority in all those areas. The Father is glorified. His name is glorified in the work of the Son on our behalf. And so the Bible says, Paul told the church in Philippi that forever, the name of Jesus will be exalted and the name of the Father will be exalted because Jesus is glorified and he's exalted. So those are the reasons. Those are five reasons and we could probably do this all morning. Those are five reasons why Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and what he does. And then finally in those two verses, he says in verse 2 that Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. I like that. That reminds us that all that stuff Moses built and the, and the temple that Solomon built, that's just a shadow, just a type, just a picture. And the writer right here says, oh, listen, Jesus doesn't waste his time in any of those shadows. He's in the real sanctuary. He's in the real place in heaven, in the real holy of holies where God sits and where his presence is manifested, and he works there. We had never had a high priest be a high priest there, only Jesus is the high priest there. In fact, the, the, the writer here will quote this in the next set of verses. He'll, 
Exodus 25, 40, listen. God said to Moses, and see to it that you make them the tabernacle according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. God said to Moses, be particularly careful that you build it exactly like I told you to build it. Why did God tell him that? Because that thing you're going to build, that tabernacle and later the temple, is a shadow, it's a type, it's a, it's a foreshadow of that tabernacle in heaven, and it needs to be exact. It needs to be exactly what I tell you to build. Shadows and types of the holiness were important. Listen, the way people approached God the Father in the tabernacle and later the temple would be how people approach God the Father now. That's why it was so important. They had to approach God through the priest with sacrifices and offerings. How do we approach God now? Through our high priest Jesus Christ with his sacrifice and his offering. God said it had to be exact because it was a picture of a reality that was infinitely important. And you couldn't mess up the type when it pointed to such a, a wonderful reality. Now, having spoken of the tabernacle, it made me think of the tabernacle. So I'm going to stick this in here for all our edifications. Do you know what the tabernacle looked like? You say, well, Pastor, it's been a long time since I read that thing. Good, let me help you. They built it out of all kinds of animal skins, put a wall around it, you know. But it had three sections. And think about this. It had what we could call an outer court. And people could gather there. And when the temple was later built, same thing. It had an outer court. People could gather there. Now the Jews, they had a, a women's court. Because in that day, obviously, the women couldn't go as far into the temple as the men could go. They had a women's court. They had the Jewish men's court. And they had a Gentile area where even Gentiles come, but they had to stay the furthest out. Because we were, you know, we were those guys. So you had to stay out there. The Gentiles, the women, the Jewish men, all in the court. And then there was uh, a holy place, or an inner court, you could call it. It's called a holy place. And it's where the, the altar was at, and the laver, and all the instruments. And they would, would give the sacrifices and burn incense and stuff in there. Only the priests were allowed to go in there. So get the picture. The, 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 the penitent sinner would bring their sheep or their offering, and they would come into the outer court, and they would, the, the, the priest would inspect it. Why? Because only... Only a, uh, an offering without blemish was acceptable to God. So would inspect this thing. Uh, your sheep's good. Uh, of course, to be forgiven of their sin, it was the heart so they would be sorry before God. God, forgive me for my sin. And here's my animal to die to pay for my sin. And God honored that. God would forgive their sin, looking forward to Jesus, to the, to the sacrifice that would take away sin, that that little animal was a shadow of. They would take the little animal in there. They would kill it, shed the blood, give the offering uh, in the inner court. And then, then there was, as you are aware, the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant ended up being and the cherubim, and it was a room. Uh, the wings of the cherubim went side to side, and on top of the Ark of the Covenant was a mercy seat, and no one was allowed to go in there. You know why no one was allowed to go in there? Because God manifested His presence in there, the Spirit. And anybody who went in there died. Because sinful man can't be in the presence of God and live. So God's presence manifested, nobody allowed to go in there, except one time a year, right? We talked about this. The high priest, once a year, goes to the process, gives a sacrifice for himself, takes a sin offering in there, and that sin offering is for the whole nation. He goes in there, does his business, and gets out. Goes in there, gives an offering, gets out. Why? One time a year, he represents the people. Now, here's the point. Hanging between 
the holy place in the holy holies was a, a curtain about four foot thick that blocked off people from being able to get into the holy of holies. Now you know what that represented? That thing which stands between God and people, sin. You can't go in there. You can't go in there or you'll die. Guess what Jesus did? Jesus came, died on the cross, and removed the curtain. Right? In Matthew 27, verse 51, the Bible says that when Jesus died, that curtain was rent from top to bottom, torn in two. Now I don't have time to get into how amazing that is, but it wasn't torn from the bottom up. It was torn from the top down and was torn a four-foot-thick curtain. A team of horses couldn't tear that curtain in half. God could. Jesus down on the cross could. Because why is the curtain torn? Why is it removed? Because nothing stands between us and God anymore. Jesus is the mediator. That's the picture. That's the picture. That's where Jesus sits in the holies of heaven. It's like this. Jesus himself sits in the holy of holies and the door is open. You can come in. That's it. No curtain, no door. Jesus is the door, right? That's what he said. I am the door. You want to come in? Come in by me. I'm the way. So Jesus sits in the, in the heavenlies, in the holy place in heaven, and that's what he does. And that's why the temple and the tabernacle design was so important. Now, in verses 3 to 6, he moves on to say, we've moved from the shadow to the real, and he said, we've moved from the old covenant to the new covenant. So look at what he says in verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it's necessary that this one also have something to offer. Now get what he's saying there. All the high priests and all the priests on earth in the old system had offerings to give. They had to give gifts and offerings, sacrifices. He said it just makes reason since that Jesus would have the same, okay? Verse 4. For if we were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. So he's simply saying Jesus is not part of the law. We already talked about that. He's not in the Levitical system. Verse 5, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, here's the quote, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Verse 6, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry. Inasmuch as he also is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. In the last bit of our time together, let me, let me just deal with some, some important parts of this. First, those priests in the Old Testament, he said, gave gifts and sacrifices. Let me talk about that for a second. You say, what kind of offerings did they give? Well, really, they fell in, in two broad categories, gifts and sacrifices, but under gifts, there were a couple. Under gifts that they would give, there were, there were peace offerings, usually eaten at feasts and, and special functions. Uh, the peace offering, the, uh, the, the person who gave the offering was allowed under the law to, have, to eat some of it. So you could have a peace offering, you could have a feast, an offering you give to God and you have a feast, there are peace offerings. And then there are free will offerings. Someone could come to God in the Old Testament thankful for a good crop and bring the required offerings and then say, God, I want to give you more. God, I want to just give you an offering because you've been so good to me. And so they could give gifts. They give free will offerings. And by the way, in the New Testament era, in the Testament of grace, 
All of our offerings are free will offerings. All of our offerings are out of gratitude to God. Everything we do is out of gratitude to God. And then thirdly, there were, there were the offerings that were sacrifices who, who made, these offerings made atonement for sin, expiated sin. They were given, shed blood. And so the, the priest gave these kinds of offerings routinely every day, morning, evening, and then the high priest was involved. Well, he said, Jesus as a high priest likewise has offerings, but not under the Levitical system. So what kind of offerings does Jesus have as our high priest? What does he offer to God? What do we offer through him to God would be the way to put it. Well, let me give you some ideas of how it fits. Let's begin with the gifts. Because again, all of our offerings are gifts. When we pray a prayer of confession, not for salvation, because when you get saved, it's one time. But after we're saved, do we not have to continue to confess sin when we fail? Yes, we do. So when we pray those prayers of confession, God, today my heart was wrong. God, today I was angry. God, today I thought wrong thoughts. God, today I've, I sinned in this area or that. And let me encourage you when you talk to God, be specific. Okay? God, you convicted me about this thing and it's sin and I confess it. When we pray like that, Jesus offers that to the Father. It's through him that we pray. So we are continually cleansed through Jesus. Not for salvation anew every day, but for fellowship, for a walk with God. So that offering goes before God. How about prayers of praise? In your prayer time, do you ever just praise God? Do you ever say, God, man, you've been so good to me. Lord, I don't deserve these things. Sometimes I think in my life, and the older you get, the easier this is to do. You look back over your life and you go, Lord, God, you, I see just so many times in my life now where you preserved me and you blessed me and you moved this and you moved that. And God, you moved life events and life things to bring me where I am. And it just causes you to praise God, doesn't it? Those are offered, listen to me, those offerings of praise are offered through Jesus. It's our high priest. They go through him. Here's a few more. How about prayers of petition? You ever ask God for anything? I ask him for a lot of stuff, okay? I'll just tell you. And you know why I ask him for a lot of stuff? Because he said I could. He said, come ask me. Lord, you said ask you, so here I am. I'm asking. Now, I always tell the Lord, God, I want it to be according to your will, but here's my list, okay? If, you know, here it is. When we make those petitions before God, how do they get presented to the Father? In Jesus, in our high priest. He brings those offerings of petition to God. Here, two more real quick. Works of service. When we serve God, how is it acceptable to the Father? It's acceptable in the Son. It's acceptable in Jesus Christ. When it's acceptable to Jesus, it's acceptable to the Father. When we serve, how about our worship? We come in here and sing. Maybe you worship in your, in your quiet time all by yourself, and you worship God. How is that acceptable? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. I was working on the Sunday night's message this week and uh, got to reading some stuff and studying the Bible and praying and made me start weeping. Ever happened to you? Make, make you start crying? I mean, you know, get up and close the office door because you know, everybody walking by thinking you're in there having a pity party. But what, what is that? Man, that's the Holy Spirit induced worship times, what that is, okay? Not, not because you worked it up, not because you were singing, not because you were doing anything, but you're studying God's Word, and all of a sudden God gets a hold of you and you think, man, Lord, how could that be? You know, it's so good. Well, how is that acceptable to God? 
How is that? Well, in Jesus. In Jesus. That's how it's acceptable to him. So Jesus, you see, offers what those things were a shadow of. Jesus is the reality of. You get it? You following it? Okay. What about sacrifices? Well, we know that. Jesus died once and for all, made, made atonement for our sins, so he's the sacrifice. Now, Jesus is our high priest. It says it was necessary that he, that he bring these things before God. And so he did. When we confess and praise and petition and service and receive, he did all that. Now, let me make an application for us today very quickly. Knowing these things, and you're here today, knowing these things, and you're watching online, it ought to make you run to Jesus and get saved if you've never been saved. It ought, to make you, it ought to make you go to Jesus right now from wherever you sit, wherever you stand, watching on TV, watching online live. And I know people are watching us online because I get emails and they tell me they are. If you're not saved, you need to get saved now. Because there's, there's a high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father who wants to make intercession for you. He wants to forgive your sin. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to go to heaven when you die, you're going by him or you aren't going. If you want to know the fullness of life and the value of life and joy and peace and encouragement in a difficult world, Jesus is it. Amen. He's the one. And he stands ready. He stands ready to do that for you. Let me, let me ask us some questions very quickly as we close. Knowing that Jesus is our great high priest as the redeemed of Christ, if you're saved today, do we offer prayers of confession daily? Do we do that? We should. We should come to God every time we're convicted over our sin. Listen, it don't take long for me to get convicted. How about you? You know, I honk the horn at somebody and the Holy Spirit goes, knock that off. I mean, doesn't that happen to you? You know, either the Holy Spirit or my wife, one of the two. <laughs> and I think they're the same sometimes. I'm not sure. One of the two, you know, tells me. But we need to confess, right? We need to confess right away. Do we offer prayers of praise and gratitude? And I wrote down a list. Do we thank God for saving our soul? Do we thank God for health and life? Do we thank God for our job, material blessings, for the things he gives? Do we thank God for our children? Do you look at your children and think, wow, God, thank you for them. Do we thank God for a local church fellowship, for Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, for friends? Do we thank God for daily protection and provision in our lives? Do we offer prayers and songs of praise? Do we do it, do it privately with the right motive in our heart? Do we do it corporately with the right motive in our heart? Do we offer service to God? Do we say to God, you are the number one person in my life, and God, whatever I do, I'm going to do it for you, and whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. You ever told God that? I had a guy tell me one time, I'm never praying that because I'm afraid what God's going to ask me to do. Well, Yes, that's right. But you ought to say it. You ought to say to God, God, you saved me and I belong to you and I'll do whatever you ask me to do. God, I want to serve you. And that's the real purpose in life. Now let me close with this. We're about out of time. He said in verse 6, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, Jesus has, and as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. The Old Covenant in the Old Testament was a conditional covenant. It was a works-based covenant. It was based on the law. And it had all kinds of weaknesses, not because the law is flawed. The law is the Word of God. It's perfect. But what the law proves, the Apostle Paul said, is that we're sinners. That we can't 
match what God said we ought to be, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so that flawed system has been replaced by a system that's all God. And it's the covenant of grace. It's a covenant whereby God said, I'm going to do everything you need because you can't do it for yourself. Jesus came and died for us, buried, rose again, sits at the right hand of the Father, and our only part in this whole thing is to believe God. That's it. Believe God to the point where we say, God, I believe you, and I confess my sin and ask you to save me. That's faith. That's it. That's our only part. I would suggest to you that's a better covenant, wouldn't you say? That's better. It's way better than us trying to do anything for ourselves. So in conclusion, are you living in the shadows this morning of the past of an old religious system? Are you trying to go back to the shadows, put a list of do's and don'ts in the refrigerator and say, man, if I do all this stuff, I'm a good Christian. If I don't do all these things, you know, I'm a good Christian. Well, what a terrible life to live that way. Now you're going to find out probably next week then under the new covenant, God writes his law on your heart. It don't need to be on the refrigerator. He put it in your heart. And if it's on your heart, then it changes who you are. And the stuff on the outside changes because you're different on the inside. Get it? That's a little teaser for next week. You want to come back, right? Listen, if you've never been saved, you understand by now you have one at the right hand of the Father who would love to save you. In fact, he loves you. Would you come to him today? Would you ask him to save you? Would you trust him to save you? Let's pray together. God, what an incredible passage. Thank you for giving us your word. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that when we pray, like right now, you are at the right hand of the Father, receiving our prayers and mediating for us and presenting them to the Father. God, we give all honor and glory to you. And it is my prayer this morning that if there's a man or woman, young person, boy or girl, someone who's watching online, and Lord, they've never been saved, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would crush their heart. God, that the conviction would be so strong that, God, they would cry out to you, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Save me right now. God, you'll save all who call. Lord, if there's somebody under the hearing of your word in this place today and they need to respond, I pray they would do it. As we give them the opportunity, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A stand if you have questions or I can pray with you or help you. You come on the first verse. I'll be right down front here. to see you here today. I want to thank you for coming out and being a part of our worship. If you're a guest, you're watching us online, I want to thank you for joining us out on the web, and we want to encourage you to go to oakleafbaptist.org. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a guest registration button. If you click on that button, fill the information out, it'll send us an email about your visit with us online or here in the building, and we would love to hear from you. Maybe you want to fill out a card 
right here in the building, there's a card right in front of you in the chair. If you fill that information out, I'll be standing at the back door at the end of the service. would love to personally greet you and thank you for being here to worship with us today. Just want to bring you up to speed on three things I need to make sure you're aware of. This Wednesday, we'll be back to our regular schedule for our Wednesday nights. We, we will not be having a dinner this Wednesday. However, our life groups will be going as regularly planned, 2 o'clock in the afternoon for our ladies. And then our other life groups meet at 6.30 on Wednesday evening. So please keep that in mind. We're on Lesson 12 in the book. And what a phenomenal study on the book of Hosea, Amos, all those uh, Old Testament prophets that we've been working through. Amazing study. This Thursday, we have the beautifully rooted ladies group that's going to be meeting Thursday evening back in the fellowship hall. If you're interested in being a part of that, please reach out to Miss Kim or Miss Rhonda and let them know. And then this week, tomorrow, kicks off the collection starting date for the Operation Christmas Child Boxes. So if you're interested in volunteering some time and being a part of the collection week with Operation Christmas Child and Samaritan's Purse, Miss Rhonda is sitting at the back table, and she would be happy to get your information and get you on the schedule to help as people will be dropping boxes off here all week. We are a collection site, and we will see a lot of foot traffic. We do need help. And you, volunteering and being a part of that, allows you to be a part in the mission work of people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ around the globe. And I want to encourage you to do that. To hand the boxes in, the box to hand in is from the 14th to the 21st. So you have the 14th to the 21st to hand those in right here at Oak Leaf. So with all that being said, I want to thank you for being here today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we're dismissed this morning. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for how good you are to us, God. It is amazing just as I was driving here this morning, just going over the blessings, the things that we we take for granted in our lives, at least in my life, just thanking you for all you do. God, as we've met here today, we've been able to sing to you, we've been able to give to you, and we've been able to hear from you. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us to take this worship experience here today and go out and live the worship experience in our lives and help us always to stay focused on leading others to God. We thank you and praise you for all you do in Jesus' precious name.